This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Owen Bennett-Jones. I've spent the last 30 years interviewing some of the world's most successful people. From CEOs to heads of state, they've all been faced with tough choices. And sometimes failure or success came down to a single decision. They were like, basically, have you lost your mind? Are you smoking crack? What are you thinking? But, you know, I had started a brand that nobody thought was a good idea. So I guess I was already pre-wired for people not thinking my ideas were good. In my new series, Make or Break, I'll be speaking to remarkable people who reached a moment when they just had to make up their mind. With guests spanning across the business world, we'll unpack those critical moments and explore how these CEOs and entrepreneurs managed uncertainty. This week, I'm joined by Liz Lang, the fashion writer turned entrepreneur who founded Liz Lang Maternity Wear. It's the maternity wear the stars can't wait to buy. Her business idea was to make stylish clothes for pregnant women at a time when retailers offered them little other than leggings and oversized jumpers. If you've ever been pregnant, especially in the last 20 years or so, you know maternity clothes can look a little less than fashionable. It was 1997 and Friends was entering its third season. Jennifer Aniston's penchant for double denim meant dungarees were in. And Britney Spears was about to hit the world with her crop tops, halter necks, and pleather. And none of this was being made for pregnant women. The fashion world didn't offer much to expecting mothers, and Liz Lang decided that should change. In a few short years, she turned a $50,000 family loan into a multi-million dollar business. Her make-or-break moment came in 2002 when she was faced with a monumental decision. Continue down the road of high-end fashion, or gamble everything she'd built, on a deal with the chain store Target. Liz Lang, welcome to Make or Break. Uh, Hi, it's very nice to be here. Well, you know, virtually be here. You're in New York. That is where you started out with all this. Tell us a bit about what maternity fashion was like before you actually launched your business. What were people wearing back then? Prior to me starting my my Liz Lang brand, it felt like maternity shops were treating women like they were turning into babies rather than getting ready to deliver a baby. They were wearing these oversized tent dresses that had lots of hearts and bows and they were often pale pink and they were also huge. And the truth is, is that pregnancy is an evolution. 
you don't start out looking like you're nine months pregnant. So I really didn't understand that either. I really thought that women looked better, frankly, even at nine months in things that were more fitted rather than oversized. And more than that, look, your eyesight's not changing, your taste isn't changing, your body's changing. So I didn't understand why women that typically dress, let's say, in an all black sleek little outfit, all of a sudden wanted to put on an oversized uh, pink tent that didn't make any sense to me. I thought, well, if I make her, you know, a sleek black outfit in the same fabric that she's used to with the same fit she's used to, I think she's going to like it better. So people were saying, well, yeah, women who are pregnant don't want luxury. They just want to be, you know, in, in comfortable clothing and there's, there's no market for what you're suggesting. That's what people said back then, right? That is what everybody said back then. Every major retailer that I thought I would create Liz Lang and sell to their stores and every woman that I knew that was pregnant that was telling me she couldn't find anything to wear. If I said to her, I think I'm going to make some maternity clothing that's going to look just like regular clothing. It's probably be priced that way, too. Does that interest you since you're pregnant and complaining? They'd say, no, I know I complain, but I really don't care. I didn't mean it. You know, I'm just wearing my husband's shirts and my leggings and I'm good. I, it's not a good idea. Well, you managed to prove all those people wrong. You've set up three high-end maternity stores in Beverly Hills and Madison Avenue and so on. And not just that, you had a deal with Nike for athletic maternity wear, and you were in some stores with Saks. So tell us about the deals you had in place at this time. So, you know, I had these high-end uh, Liz Lang boutiques, as you as you mentioned, these flagship stores, Madison Avenue, uh, Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills, another very exclusive neighborhood on Long Island, very affluent. And then I was selling into other very, very high-end, you know, smaller retailers around the country. Um, you mentioned Saks Fifth Avenue. I was negotiating a deal with Saks Fifth Avenue to open up what we would call Liz Lang's shop in shops. So a Liz Lang shop inside every Saks Fifth Avenue store. So I was in the midst of negotiating that. This is about the year 2000. So I'm negotiating with Saks about shopping shops. I've got my flagship boutiques. I'm selling into other very, very high-end, you know, smaller retailers around the country. That That's where the business is. I can't see why you've got any problem at all at this time. It must have been going brilliantly. Things seemed pinch me fabulous. Um, I was getting enormous amounts of press, enormous. Um, I was dressing every single A-list celebrity. However, uh, you know, like all good entrepreneurs and business people, and I don't know how good I am, but I mean, you know, I was thinking ahead and I had noticed that the fact that I was making such a big splash in this luxury maternity wear marketplace, which was a marketplace that I had basically created, which became the good news and the bad news. So I create this marketplace. And then, of course, other smart retailers and brands are taking notice. It's not like it's a secret. In fact, I'm getting crazy amounts of press, so everybody knows. So I start to notice that other brands, brands that are, in fact, much bigger, like uh, The Gap, Old Navy, J. Crew, they all start talking about going into the luxury maternity apparel business. And then, of course, tons of other brands are popping up. So the competition was fierce. So I was getting nervous. It's not the hugest marketplace. I mean, I, I can't remember the numbers, but it's not like there's so much money in the high-end maternity apparel business. It's a pretty small piece of the pie. So if we start dividing it up too much, I just realized that like it needed to be consolidated. Not everybody could win. I'm an extraordinarily competitive person. I had had this taste of winning and success, and there was no you know, gosh darn way that I was then going to lose. 
So I started thinking that the way that I was going to win was going to be by partnering with a much bigger brand, kind of a knockout punch for all the players that seem big that were trying to crowd the marketplace and compete with me. And I looked around and I identified Target. Now, for people who haven't shopped at Target, what sort of a store is Target? Target is is a, a less expensive, think Walmart, if that means anything to your listeners, uh, with a little bit more style, I think Target would say. They sell everything from clothing uh, to groceries, um, you know, to books. Nothing is terribly expensive. I, I don't know what category to put it in, but I'd say mass. Mass market. So it's a long way from Madison Avenue. It's a very long way from Madison Avenue, yes. I would think that a lot of your uh, friends and colleagues would be saying, look, I mean, luxury brands are a difficult thing to achieve. You've achieved it. Don't throw it away. Everybody said exactly what you thought. They were like, basically, have you lost your mind? Are you smoking crack? What are you thinking? It was ubiquitous. It was people who I relied on for advice thought it was a terrible idea. There was an executive at a very, very high-end luxury brand, very high-end, rhymes with Linnell. Right, okay. Actually sent me a note that said, I cannot believe that my favorite, favorite luxury maternity boutique will now be selling their wares in a store that also sells garden supplies. How could you? So it was loud and it was swift. However, I had been there before. I had started a brand that nobody thought was a good idea. So I guess I was already sort of pre-wired for people not thinking my ideas were good. Now, let me put to you some of the objections and because you must have been running them through your head as you made this decision. So first of all, it undermines your luxury brand. You're throwing away what you've built up. You're throwing away money because luxury brands equals money. Yeah, no, I, I to that I thought no. Um, you're 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 underestimating the customer and never underestimate the customer. I believe that a customer who happened to want to shop Liz Lang at Target and Liz Lang collection boutiques could understand that maybe she'd buy her T-shirts for less money from Target and then maybe she'd buy her, you know, dress to go to a luncheon or to the office from my collection boutiques. That was number one. Number two was I wasn't convinced it was the same customer. I thought, well, there is a customer that only shops my luxury boutique. She may not even know what Target is offering, nor may she care if she does know. I did not think it would affect her one way or the other. And then I thought there was a whole world of women that I wasn't serving. I'm not trying to pretend for a second that I did this as an altruist. I didn't. It was a business decision. But I was getting a ton of feedback from women that said, hey, Liz, I read about you in People magazine. I love your clothes. I want to dress like that, too. But I don't have Cindy Crawford's budget, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I knew that there was, you know, this massive amounts of women uh, who I could access by having a less expensive line that I was not able to produce myself. That would be way too hard other than through Target. Wasn't the obvious way to deal with that problem to set up another line, another brand, you know, the Jennifer Smith line of, of more affordable maternity wear? Well, no, because I had built up a huge name under Liz Lang, like to this day, and I've, I sold my business in 2007 and it's 2021. If I put my credit card down at certain stores and the woman taking it is over 40, she'll say, wait, are you that Liz Lang? And then she'll start thanking me and talking to me about what she wore when she was pregnant and how she still kept it. So I knew that I had struck this enormous chord with the pregnant woman and that my name was basically synonymous at that point with maternity clothing. 
So, no, I didn't think that it would make sense to try to build up equity in a new brand called Liz Smith or whatever you want to call it. I, I thought that, no, it never crossed my mind. Objection number two, then, that if you did the deal with Target, it was going to undermine your deals with Nike, with Saks, and with all the other luxury stores you'd got yourself into. Yeah, and that was true, and I understood that, and I was okay with it. Nike actually did come to me, and they said, we choose not to sell to a mass store like Target. We do not want our swoosh there. And we don't want one of our partners selling there. So we will not be continuing with our contract. I loved my Nike deal. It was fantastic. I loved being in all the Nike town stores. And at the time, there were these Nike goddess stores all around the country that were just for women. I loved making personal appearances in their stores. It was very prestigious. It was a lot of fun. It was not rolling in dollars. It was making money. But there was no comparison between what they were offering me and what Target was offering me. So I made that decision. Then Saks said the same thing. We will not have Liz Lang shop and shops in our Saks and also Liz Lang boutiques within Target stores. No way, no how. And I said, okay, Saks, that's fine. Target was also offering much more than just floor space and dollars. Target was offering to put signage above all eight Liz Lang maternity racks in all of their thousands of stores around the country. A picture of me and my then younger children uh, basically saying Liz Lang maternity is the premier maternity brand on the planet. And they were also offering me marketing dollars that could not be replicated. I don't have any idea what the figures were, but they were offering me TV spots, you know, the Golden Globes, the most, you know, highly watched, most eyeballs on TV shows that you could have. Target was buying that airtime and airing TV shows starring me. I'm Liz Lang, founder of Liz Lang Maternity, America's top maternity fashion brand, if I do say so myself. This is unquantifiable. This was taking every part of my brand onto the next level. This was, you know, media gold. Maternity style. Some women think those two words shouldn't even be used in the same sentence. I'm here today to show you that they should be and they absolutely can be very easily. You like the idea of being on all these ads all over America, but I'm just wondering, would that have been a way you could have gone wrong, that you'd have been tempted by promoting yourself and that that could have taken you away from the dollars? Did you worry about that? Uh, No, I saw them as interconnected. You know, I had really built the business at the beginning on the back of press. You know, I noticed that it just took one, you know, one article in places that barely mattered that seemed small, local magazine like New York magazine that, you know, barely exists anymore. Or, um, you know, at the time, important magazines like People or In Style. And the volume just would jump, jump like crazy. So I knew that press was really driving my business. But I didn't care, like I could be in the commercial spot or somebody else could be, an actress. It was really the idea that more press is good. Like the more recognition for the brand, the more the brand is talked about, the more the people are hearing about the brand, the better and the dollars follow. That's what I thought. Uh, So here's my third objection that, you know, it's fine. I mean, Target are making all these promises, but if the sales hadn't really taken off, and of course in business, who knows, then... Yeah, in a year or two, they're a business. They probably say, "Uh, Liz Lang, lovely knowing you. Bye-bye. Oh, of course. You're only as good as how quickly your merchandise is turning at Target. And they actually give you racks and then they take them away or they add to them. And they're doing that all the time. It's the ultimate uh, market system. Uh, And they're giving that rack to a brand that's selling better than yours because, you know, it's a business. And I respect that. I understand that. I learned a ton from them, actually. 
So yeah, there was a risk, but I was about 34, 35 years old. I had a lot of young, both naivete slash confidence. Today, I would have thought of everything that you were telling me, and I probably curled up in the fetal position. Somehow, I believed that this business would take off at Target. I mean, of course, there was a risk. Of course, I didn't think it was cratering my high-end business. So I guess if you would ask me that then, and I have to take myself back now 20 years, I guess I would have said, well, yeah, okay, nothing ventured, nothing gained. If my high-end business dips a little bit, I'll get it back. I'll get the deal with Saks back. If I don't get Saks back, I will get another competitor of Saks. I will be in Neiman's. I will be in Bergdorf's. I will be in all other specialty stores. I'll open up more Liz Lang boutiques. I was perhaps one would call it overly confident. Maybe I was arrogant. Maybe I was naive. You take your pick. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast and felt inspired by some of the leaders you heard making tough decisions in make-or-break situations, then you may want to equip yourself with the skills and capabilities to make your own difficult decisions in these uncertain times. If so, the Open University's micro-credential, Management of Uncertainty, Leadership, Decisions and Action, is designed for you. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Through a combination of celebrity endorsement and marketing savvy, Liz Lang maternity had become a runaway success in the late 1990s. And by the time the millennium rolled around, she was poised to break into a whole new world of haute couture at New York Fashion Week. It was the first time retailers from across the globe would see clothes designed for pregnant women on the catwalk. For the first time, the elite have allowed a maternity designer to show their collection. This is Liz Lang, and you say you are a fashion designer just like everyone else, but with a little more fabric. But for all the excitement of New York Fashion Week, that's not what people remember about that day. The show started on the morning of September the 11th, 2001. Breaking news story to tell you about. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just a few moments ago, and we have very little information available. Liz Lang's big moment was eclipsed in the worst possible way. Instead of celebrating her debut at New York Fashion Week, she stepped out into a changed world. In this era of uncertainty, Liz Lang was looking to secure her business and continue to grow in the face of adversity. A partnership with Target could bring stability to her maternity wear brand, but making the deal was not going to be straightforward. Shortly after 9-11, Liz received some terrible personal news. What Target didn't know and I didn't want them to know was I was actually diagnosed with cancer. The diagnosis um, was frightening, although it was a survivable cancer, but it required surgery, it required radiation, it required chemotherapy. I was exhausted but I I didn't want anyone to know, and I was working through it. The weird part was, so I approached Target, and they kept saying, yes, yes, Liz, we're interested. Please, we'd love to invite you down to Minneapolis, where we have our headquarters and our flagship uh, Target boutique, to really show it all to you. And what I didn't understand then was they were actually trying to woo me. 
But it ended up being one of these hilarious things in a negotiation where I was inadvertently playing hard to get because I really couldn't fly to Minneapolis or anywhere because I couldn't miss a day of radiation. That happened daily. And because I was also doing chemotherapy, I was also just, I was much too exhausted for it. So I couldn't do it. I could sound good on the phone, but I couldn't go there in person. So I kept putting it off. I kept saying, yes, yes, next month I'll come. But I kept not coming, which I think was having the effect of them becoming more and more and more interested. You know, it's like hard to get with a boyfriend. And by the way, it's amazing that you approached Target and yet they obviously were very (laughs) enthusiastic about it. That part was hilarious. So um, finally, I actually had one day off of the radiation, one day only. And I said, I will fly there for a day trip. You know, can't stay overnight. I'm very, very busy. I was trying to make it sound like just, you know, wheeling and dealing, but I will come for the day. So I came for the day and I have to say that that day, now thinking back on it, they had every single top executive in the conference room and um, they were wooing me. They even showed me where they would put my racks, what the store would look like, what the signage would be, what the marketing would be. And basically I came home after that and we, you know, we hammered out a deal very, very quickly. You said earlier this wasn't altruism, but you also said that you liked the idea of taking your products out to a wider audience. So to what extent was it that that you wanted to dress American women rather than just rich American women? Was that part of it? Yes. I mean, of course, I wanted to dress American women. I wanted to dress a larger segment of the population. And of course, I was thrilled to be able to offer things that were less expensive, something that I didn't know how to produce that way. That wouldn't have worked for me. That would have been, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't make any money doing it through my high-end line. I wouldn't have known how to. Target is a master at that kind of production. That said, I don't, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say this. I should just take the compliment, but I'm I'm not, I, I, it's not, it's not in my DNA. I'm not going to lie. This is business. This is business. So obviously it's smarter to reach more women than fewer women. You know, I started with expensive clothing because that's the marketplace I identified. Then I identified a bigger marketplace and I went there. You said earlier, I wanted to win. So did winning mean just making more money than anyone else or making a very large amount of money? Or or did it mean something else? How did you define winning? Oh, well, I would just find it two ways. Uh, Of course, winning is making money. Business is about money. So yes, I wanted to make money. There's nothing fun. There's, I tell this to entrepreneurs all the time. No matter what idea you have, there's nothing fun about it if you're not making money. I mean, unless, unless it's a charity idea and that, that's wonderful. Philanthropy is very important and I, you know, I, I do it myself. But business is business. So yes, I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted the brand to be known as the most important, the biggest, the largest in maternity apparel. I didn't do it to be second. I didn't do it to be third. I didn't do it to be runner-up. And, and Target were delighted and stayed with you. So they, they, they also felt they'd taken the right decision. So I should just let's think about that a bit. What were the risks that they took on with you? Well, they had, they had an existing maternity line at the time. It was called In Due Time. It was what we call a private label line. It had not, it was it was fake. I mean, Target Target produced it and they called it in due time. So that line was doing okay. But I basically said to them, I see your line and it's fine, but I'm telling you, like if you had the name Liz Lang here, you could do, you know, a heck of a lot better. And they took a risk because they were fine with in due time. And as a matter of fact, when I first came into Target, they said, well, we're going to keep some of our in due time racks. You're not, we're not going to give you the entire department. We're going to give you most of the department. And again, again, I don't know, brashness, whatever. I said, fine, I'd love to go head to head with in due time. No problem. 
I'd say within two years, they had gotten rid of in due time. I had Liz Lang for Target had all those racks. But that was a risk on their part. Like anytime a brand partners with a living person, they're taking on the risks that I could do something, I could say something damaging. I mean, I don't think I'm a particularly scandalous person, but I guess it was safer for them just to be with their fake brand in due time than with Liz Lang, this living, breathing person who at any moment might say something that didn't align with Target's values or, you know, I don't know. Okay, well, let's get on to the outcome of this decision, because basically you went with Target. So they offered you this deal. They had a whole room full of people. They came up with some numbers. Presumably you uh, rejected all your friends and colleagues' advice. and You thought, "Ah, I'm going to do it. How did it work out? Well, it ended up working out fabulously, obviously. And I, I really believe this, like a good outcome doesn't mean you made a good decision. And a conversely, a bad outcome doesn't necessarily mean you made a bad decision. So there's a huge amount of luck in this. So believe me, I one thing I am not saying is, oh, brilliant, brilliant me. It, it could have gone wrong. Any of the places that you mentioned, it absolutely could have. It ended up not going wrong. It turned out The mass business with Target took off beyond my wildest expectations. I started with fewer racks. I gained more racks through through good performance at Target. Um, We became, you know, one of their best selling brands. Uh, We kept renewing the deal. It became a 20 year deal, which is unheard of. It was extraordinarily successful. Target at that time was very, very, very focused on their mommy and baby business. They called me the lightning rod of the mommy and baby business throughout their store. So it was that was incredible. I was making, you know, again, I'm not bragging. It's not a big deal, but the, it was it was throwing off an enormous amount of cash for the high end business and for me. And 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 so, what did that mean for these high end stores? So you know, your target's going well. You're very very happy. Everyone's making money at that end of it. Uh, are the women still going into Madison Avenue, or are they thinking I'm not shopping where Target's, you know, the same shop as Target? I don't think I saw one bit of that. My sales rose in all three of my boutiques, my Liz Lang boutiques. It, you know, it was like a uh, high tide lifts all ships. Uh, everything got bigger. My high end got bigger. Of course, my mass line was very, very big. Uh, The profile of the brand was very, very big. Also, having this ripple effect of becoming much more well-known because in my mind, people don't even know why they know a name, where they hear the name. It kind of just seeps in. But the name Liz Lang was just all of a sudden in the ether. It was everywhere. So it was just very good for the brand overall. And it was really at the end of the day what gave me my exit. Um, I didn't even know I was looking for an exit. But what happened is because I had this deal with Target and it was a guaranteed minimum payment every single year of a serious amount of money, um, lots of other players started approaching me wanting to buy the brand. I wasn't thinking that. I had never really thought about it. But all of a sudden, you know, suddenly I got an offer that I felt like I couldn't really refuse. That happened later in 2007. But that wouldn't have happened without the Target deal. Definitely not. Well, one of the things that had helped your business take off is you were addressing celebrities, people like Cindy Crawford, Julia Roberts, and so on. So very big names. So when you made the deal with Target, did those high-profile clients just go away? Oh, oh no, quite the opposite. That continued to increase and Target, for some reason, celebrities in America, they love Target. They think it's very cool to say that they are dressed by Target. My Target line actually didn't dress most of them because they wanted, you know, it was all sort of the made to order things that I'd make for them in my studios. However, I continued to dress all of them. And with Target, we were able to do things that I couldn't even really do. I used to host some baby showers at my store, especially in Beverly Hills. However, um, with Target, for instance, 
we went to my friend Brooke Shields. We hosted a huge baby shower for her at David Foster's house in Malibu. Uh, and we allowed InStyle Magazine and maybe E. I mean, these things mattered a lot at the time to cover it live. And Brooke invited all of her celebrity friends. And I did a Liz Lang for Target fashion show there and Target underwrote the entire thing. So no, it was just, that was, you know, it was just all ramped up. It was all more, 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 more. So tell me, what lessons do you take away from this whole experience? What advice would you give to people just starting out in business today? Well, I'll start with that. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, so maybe this advice is more applicable to those listening who are entrepreneurs, but I, I hope it's more globally applicable. I always say that whenever somebody comes up with a new idea, nobody thinks it's a good idea. So just go in knowing that. Like, don't, nobody will think it's a good idea. If they did, it would have already been done before. So you really do have to learn how to shut out all these uh, naysayers. Obviously, there's a certain balance to this. I'm not telling people that they should like, you know, invest their last dollars in something that every single person in the world tells them is terrible, I, I suppose. So just be prepared. You need to really put on blinders and sort of earmuffs and uh, just look ahead and focus on what you want to do and, and try to accomplish it. A lot of this is you got to jump in, you got to do it. Things are going to be thrown at you that you can't possibly anticipate or expect. And you're going to have to make what you think are the best decisions in the moment. You're not going to be able to plan for them. So, you know, like I always joke, but again, it was a long time ago. It was 1997. I didn't see quote unquote white space. I didn't know that word. I didn't call myself an entrepreneur. I wouldn't have said that. I wasn't terribly brave. Um, I was young. And I wasn't this huge feminist. I love women. I guess I'm a feminist, whatever that means. But I wasn't setting out to change the world and, and empower women. I had a business idea that I couldn't get out of my head. Also, I do think for those aspiring entrepreneurs, the way that you really know it's a good idea is you cannot stop thinking about it. You literally can't. That's how I know even now if ideas are good or bad. If I can even turn it off for a minute, it's probably not a good idea. If you're waking up at three in the morning and just excited and thinking about it and knowing it's right, do it. Liz Lang, thanks very much for telling us about your very successful make or break decision. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Radio Wolfgang for Audi, presented by me, Owen Bennett-Jones, and featuring Liz Lang. It was produced by John Joe Devlin and Cass Denton, edited by Eli Block, and the executive producer was Ellie DiMartino, with support from the Open University. Listener.